Revelation. Now, does anybody know where that is? Last book in the New Testament. Last book of the Bible. We'll be starting our study tonight through the book of Revelation. I want to give you a little background before we get started, and I also want to pray and ask us the Lord's blessing on this time as we get tonight kick off this uh, study through this uh, beautiful book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. But let me go ahead and one more time ask the Lord to speak to us tonight out of His Word and pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, we are so grateful for Your Word. And Lord, in Your Word we find everything that we need. Really, nothing is lacking, Lord, from Genesis, the book of beginnings, to here, the book of Revelation. Lord, the the revealing of those things yet to come and the, the end of the age, this age that we know. And God, we would ask tonight that this, not only tonight, but this entire time that we would be studying through the book of Revelation, Lord, that you would make it just that, a time of revelation, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word, that you would speak to us clearly, plainly, Lord, and that we would begin to understand uh, those things that you have planned and ordained, Lord, that we would begin to understand the, the time in which we find ourselves living and that we would be able to sense that urgency and application even in our own lives. And God, most of all, my heart's desire is that we would be blessed by this study in that we would see that our God has all things in his hand, that you truly are the Alpha and the Omega, and Lord, you who have spelled out with such detail the end of the age, we, you are a God in whom we can put our trust and our confidence. All is well with you tonight, Lord, and all is well with us as our hearts are hidden with God in Christ. So speak to us tonight, Lord. Bless this time. And uh, may it be a time of great, uh, rich fulfillment for us spiritually. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, yeah, I'm getting warned here to welcome first-time visitors. Okay, if there are anybody here for the very first time, Calvary Chapel, Monrovia, we do want to welcome you, and I forgot that. Would you raise your hand so we can welcome you? Anybody here? God bless you. Any others? God bless you as well. All right, there as well. Met you guys. Okay, well, our ushers have a little visitor card there, and it's something you can uh, fill out if you desire and let us know about yourself, how you heard about us, and... And then if you have any prayer requests, anything that we can be praying with you for. And you can just deposit those. There are little offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary on your way out. And you can just slide those in there. All right, the book of Revelation. We'll just be kind of getting through an introduction piece here tonight. Just looking at the first eight verses. But uh, I want to give, because I want to give a little background uh, to the book and kind of introduce our study the word revelation, now you notice it's not, many people often, I often hear this book referred to as revelations, but it's really just revelation. It's not plural. It's one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is, uh, comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, from which we transliterate apocalypse, and you've probably heard that word. And what it really means, literally, is an unveiling or an uncovering to make manifest, to reveal truths that have been prior concealed. So it really is a revelation, and it is uh, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the book is intended to reveal 
uh, more completely, more fully, the very person of Jesus Christ. Now, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ really in two ways. Number one, it's His revelation. That is, Jesus is the one who has this revelation to give us. So it is His revelation, but it is also a revelation of Him. He is the object of the revelation. And you're going to see that in our study. You know, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we're beginning to see a picture of Jesus, aren't we? As we study and we see how He interacts and we we see how He handles different situations, His love, His compassion. We see His humility, and we're we're getting ready to study, of course, the the Passion Week and, and when He would go to the cross. So we, we know kind of that, that idea of Jesus. That's the Jesus that's presented in the Gospels. And, you know, it's a beautiful picture of this suffering servant, the one who came to offer his life. But this book of Revelation, it's going to reveal another glimpse of Jesus, another look of Jesus that had not prior been seen. In fact, even, even the apostles, even the disciples who lived with him did not see some of what John is going to begin to see of Jesus Christ. And so it's very important that we begin to see, you know, Jesus came the first time as a humble, suffering servant. But when he returns, he comes in a very different style, doesn't he? In fact, you can just look ahead. Um, we won't get this far tonight, but look at verse 12 of chapter 1. You, you'll get, get kind of my meaning here. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And of course, it was the voice of Jesus. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last." So that's a different picture of Jesus than the one John had come to know. John, of course, this is written to us by the Apostle John. John knew, walked with Jesus, even saw the resurrected Jesus. But but this is a new revelation of Jesus. This is John seeing Jesus in a very different light. He is now this mighty warrior. He is this exalted God. And out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And when John sees it, now when John saw Jesus before, he ran to him and embraced him. When he sees Jesus here, he falls on his face like a dead man. I mean, it's just overwhelming. So this, this picture of Jesus that we will be studying is a very different one than what we've seen in the Gospels. It's the same Jesus. He, he never changes. He, he's not, but this is a new, a fuller, if you will, a fuller revelation of him. You're going to begin to see him in his glorified state, not just his human state. The, the author of the book is the Apostle John, and the date of the book is approximately A.D. 95. Now, I won't go into great detail about why we believe it's written in 95 AD, but it is important that it is. Some have thought perhaps it's written in the late 60s AD, but they interpret it that way 
primarily to give them uh, the ability to interpret the book in a different way, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. But uh, we know that we believe that this was written approximately 95 A.D. during the reign of the Roman emperor Domitian. Uh, the thing where John was, the kind of persecution that was going on at the time, fits the reign of Domitian. The state in which the churches are, in which he writes this letter to, is consistent with the time, 95 A.D. And a number of the early church fathers, the, the very earliest writings that we have, uh, reveal uh, their reference to this book and this revelation. And 95 A.D. is confirmed in many uh, in many manuscripts. It is written while John is in exile, and we'll find this in the text. He's in exile on the island of Patmos. This is a at this time a Roman uh, penal colony off the coast of Asia Minor. He's in jail. He's kind of uh, been exiled to this island. And he, of course, for his faith, and it's off the coast of Asia Minor. It's written, as we will also discover in our text, to seven churches in Asia. Now, when we think of Asia, sometimes we think of, you know, China and Korea. But in this, the Asia in this day was actually an area, uh, modern-day Turkey. And he writes this to seven churches there. And uh, also, not only to those churches, but to all of his servants. And all who read, he references, will be blessed. And that's my thought tonight, is the blessing of his word. He promises a great blessing for all who would read this this passage. Now, before we get started, I do also want to give you just, um, again, very cursory introduction. This is not, we're not going in depth but I want to give you at least a little understanding. There are a lot of different interpretational views. This book, as you know, is a, a very symbolic uh, book. There are many things that are referenced in signs and symbols. Uh, much of it is a vision that John saw, and so he's simply writing what he saw. And, of course, that's, he's representing the things as best he can that he sees. And so there's been a lot of uh, different ways of interpreting this, uh, interpreting this, this book. And some of the, the, the ways that, that the book is interpreted, I'll give you just some of the views and then talk a little bit about how we'll be looking at it. One of the interpretational views is what's called the preterist view. And preterists are, uh, or it, the word preterism is actually t- it's taken from the Latin word preter, which means past. And these are people that would interpret the book of Revelation as having already been fulfilled in the past. They, they would look at these uh, uh, writings, uh, especially even some of the, the writings in Revelation 19 and some of the horrible things that uh, are predicted to come upon the earth, and they're saying this was already been fulfilled. In fact, most of it, or if not in some cases all of it, has been fulfilled in 70 A.D., when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem. And that's why they look for an earlier writing date. They look for this to be written somewhere around 68 A.D. That way they can kind of... But there is no external evidence that it was written in that date. They just simply interpret it to be written that way because they believe that it was written prior to this destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So they look to plug everything in here as having somehow been either literally fulfilled or allegorically, spiritually fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Well, that has a lot of problems, as you might 
imagine. Um, but they do take one verse here and they say, well, this is why we think so, because they say that uh, these, are, these are things which must shortly come to pass. Um, where is that? Well, it'll be in our text here tonight, actually, but we'll we'll cover it when I get there. I'm sorry, I can't find it right this moment. But there is a verse here that talks about these things are getting ready to come shortly. And so they say, well, that must be the prediction of what was going to happen in 70 A.D. But all the external references of this book point to its writing having been written after 70 A.D. So it wouldn't be possible that it would be the could could have already been fulfilled because it was written after the event. Uh, so they also reject that the second coming of Christ in chapter, ni- chapter 19 uh, is going to be this literal Christ appearing. They think somehow he came spiritually and appeared. And that just doesn't really uh, do adequate interpretation to the text. And we just don't believe, I can't, you know, if you'll see tonight, or not tonight, but in our study, verses chapters 6 through 19, there's just nothing like the description uh, that you see when God starts pouring out the wrath upon the earth. Nothing like this has ever happened on the earth. And certainly not the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. just doesn't even come close to the kinds of events that we will read about. So although some interpret it this way, um, we don't believe it's a valid interpretation. Another interpretational view is the historical View. They believe that this is really intended to describe this, the full sweep of church history from apostolic times to the present. And the trouble with that, of course, is that interpreters often resort to allegorizing the text to fit it into some historical event. And it just requires too much human ingenuity and opinion because then you can just kind of make it say anything. They find something, oh, that must have been, you know, this event in history. And they try to just make it this big, broad brush of history. And then there is, of course, uh, another view called the idealist. And these are those who, who really don't think it's talking about anything specifically, but really it's just more of a general theme of good versus evil, a collection of myths and stories designed to convey spiritual truth. And that does not give... Um, really a literal interpretation of the book at all. And then there is finally the futurist view, and that's the one that we will be embracing, and that is we believe that this is written uh, to reveal to us those things that will take place in the future. We don't believe that, that these things have happened yet. And you'll see as we read in our study some of the events, clearly nothing like this has ever happened on the earth, and we believe that it's God speaking about uh, those end-time events that will usher in the end of this age. And we'll find that as we go through our study. So those are some of the different views. You kind of get an idea of how we'll be looking at it. We're looking at this book as a book of prophecy, a book of prophetic uh, revelation concerning not only Jesus Christ, but also his future plan of uh, finishing up this age. All right, with that in mind, let's get started into the text. We'll look at verses 1 through 3, and we see just a a brief introduction. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, well, there it is, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John, 
who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is John's introduction, and this is what he has to say. Firstly, he tells us what this is. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, it's not only Christ's revelation to give, but it's also a revelation of him himself being the object of the revelation. And where did he get it? He got it from God. These are things that were given to him from God the Father. Now, John, uh, Jesus would say that. You remember in the book of John, he would say, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. God has given Christ this revelation. He is now revealing it to his servants. And it is indeed prophetic. Things which must shortly take place. Now, the preterist, that's where this is their key verse. You see, it says it must shortly take place. But we would say to that, of course, the Greek word is the Greek word takus, and it doesn't mean shortly in sense of chronological time, but rather that when these events begin to take place, they will happen quickly. The word actually literally means quickly or suddenly. And uh, Charlie Campbell puts it this way, John is not describing when the events will occur, but rather he is describing the manner in which they will take place when they occur. He was saying that when these events took place, they would unfold suddenly, quickly, with great swiftness, even coming upon the world unexpectedly. And that would be consistent with other scriptures that reveal that his coming will be, the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 refers to that. So this is not necessarily saying that it's going to happen very shortly to the time John has written it, but rather that when these events come, they will come suddenly, they will come upon the earth like a thief in the night, they will shortly take place. And of course, relative to eternity, Peter says this, uh, you know this verse, I'll read it to you, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So with the Lord, even shortly, uh, can signify a, a distance of time, but I, I, I prefer the idea that the shortly here is referring to the, the manner in which these events will take place when they begin to occur. And you notice that he says there uh, in the latter part of verse 1, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. He signified it. In other words, that it's, there are going to be signs and symbols in the manner in which this is revealed. Now, we'll find that as we read. And much, there's a lot of great symbolism representing a number of things that John will describe. And again, that might be some of it just the way he was able to communicate the things that he saw, that just he, he, he compares things like certain animals and things, the beast. But it's also, uh, I believe, part of an emphasis. I mean, we can say that, you know, God, Jesus is eternal, or we can say he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. That's the first and last letter in the Greek alphabet. It's a symbolic way of saying God is eternal. He is not bound by time. And so, you know, instead of saying, oh, there's a, 
there was an evil, uh, an evil individual. Instead, we refer to him as the beast. And that gives even a greater impact, a greater understanding of how evil this individual is and kind of describes something of his character. So that's part of the reason I believe the Lord uses um, symbols to signify these things to us. And it is, of course, the Word of God. It is not the words of men. It is really the Word of the Lord. We see that in verse 2, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. This is John giving his revelation of what he saw, and he's wanting you to know, listen, this isn't just me making this up. This isn't you know, me just writing a story. I'm writing what I saw, but you must re- uh, receive it for what it is, the Word of God. And this is John's seeing into the spiritual realm. You know, there is a physical realm, that you and I exist and see in, but there is also a spiritual realm which we cannot see into. And that's not that hard for me to accept and believe. I mean, there are a lot of things I can't see, you know. I can't even see the sound waves that are going through the air for you to hear my voice. There's all all kinds of cell technology now. I have no idea how all that works, you know. We just, you can talk on a cell phone. I can talk to somebody in India on a cell phone. There's no wires, and we are talking just through the air. This a realm that we can't see. It's still part of the physical realm, and scientists have d- discovered how to, to uh, manipulate it and work it. But in this case, it is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm that is real, that exists, that we cannot see. But God is going to open up the spiritual realm for John to see things that exist spiritually. And that's what he's going to write. He's going to write those things that he discovers to be seen in the spiritual realities. And there is blessing. And that's really the heart of what I want to say tonight. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There is blessing uh, and it's almost as if John knew that we would be studying this sometime. I mean, he, he, this letter goes out to churches. And notice he says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. It's almost as if John knew. I'll write this letter. I'll send it out to the churches. And the leadership, a pastor, will get up and read the letter. Blessed is he who reads and blessed is the congregation who will hear the words of this letter, the words of this book. There is blessing promised. It's guaranteed that as we study this, as we read this, there will be a blessing. God is going to bless our study of His Word. Not only those who read it, not only those who hear it, but of course those who keep these things. How do you keep things? You store them in your heart. You you let them really impact your life. I'm think I was thinking of, uh, you know, Mary when she was told all of the things concerning Jesus and all of the future things about this new child that she had. And the Bible says that she heard all of this and she just she pondered these things in her heart. She kept these things in her heart. She didn't completely understand all that was revealed to her, but she, she kept them in her heart. And then as she began, as, as these things began to unfold, she already had a sense of understanding in her heart. And so we should keep these things in our heart. Will we be able to understand everything that's being said in the book? Probably not. Will we completely accurately understand and interpret 
exactly how these things will play out? Probably not. But we can keep them in our heart. We can get a general enough, a good enough handle on what God is saying that, that when these things do begin to pass or when things do begin to occur, we've already got, we're already keeping them in our heart and we, 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 we're not troubled. We're not alarmed. We're not fearful. Oh, this is that which the Lord spoke of. And that's the kind of thing that, that I hope is going to happen as we study. I mean, I don't know about you, but we're going, I'm seeing a lot of things going on in the world today. There's a lot of things going on just in the economy, just in our, in our, our own condition as a, as a state, as a nation. A lot of things going on in the world, wars and rumors of wars. We have man, young men and women you know, whose lives are at risk across the other side of the world in Afghanistan. This has been, October has been the, most, the deadliest month of the war. And there's a lot of concern about, you know, we're, we're losing the, the battle there's, you know, more saber-rattling saber in Iran, and there's a lot of Middle East tension. I mean, we're living in very interesting times. And if, if you didn't know the Word of God, if you didn't have any, any place to kind of anchor your heart, you could become very fearful. What is the world coming to? What's going on? What's going to happen and I don't have a crystal ball as to all how all these things play out, but I know enough of the prophetic scriptures to know that this looks very much like what the Bible talks about. And it gives me a sense of confidence, a sense of peace. This, these are the things that must take place before my Lord's return. I'm not surprised. I'm not panicked. I'm not anxious. I'm I'm kind of excited, not in a, you know, wanting bad things to happen, but there's this sense that we must be growing, getting near. I'm beginning to look up for my redemption is nigh. And that's, the, I believe, the blessing. Blessed are those who would hear, read and hear and keep these things because it will become an anchor for you. It will become something of, of a hope. Not only that, but when you begin to study this this revelation of Jesus and the revelation of God. I mean, he's just, he is this awesome being. And, you know, the, 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 just the power and the majesty. Of, we're going to see things in, around the throne of God. And my concept of God is just, it, it just grows when I, when I read these passages. And there's blessing in that. It gives me an anchor. It gives me a kind of a foundation. And I think we need that. I know many people today are fearful. I was um, picking up a truck to get some, some of the foods that we have here in the, uh, out in the fellowship hall from Dovetail Ministries. Went down to El Monte and uh, used, got a truck with Ed. Ed was there and he said, oh, hey, come say hi to Debbie. This is a lady I used to work with. And I went up and we talked with her and you know, I just just in a few minutes of conversation, just the fear. You know, I said, "What are you guys going? Oh, we're going down to get some food." Oh, people are so there's everybody's in just dire straits. People need food. People are, you know, even you know, even some of my friends. We've, we're looking for ways to help them, and and just this fear. And she began to talk, and just the, you know, pa almost a, a panic. Jobs are so difficult, and people are struggling, and and people don't know what to do. It's really bad out there. You know, and she just kind of venting out some of her own anxiety. And I just, I sense that. I sense that people are, are fearful. 
and that people are worried about the future and about what's happening, what's going on in our country and what's going on in the world. Blessed is he who reads and hears and keeps these things. God's Word has to become the anchor to our soul. God's Word has to become the assurance that, you know what? Yes, things are difficult. Things are trying. But you know what? We serve a God who's in control. We serve a God who saw that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He saw these things from the beginning. He saw the beginning from the end. He exists outside of time. All all that is going to happen, He has already known will happen. He has already spoken much of it so that it will happen. So these are the blessings that we can have as we study His Word, a sense of confidence and assurance. It is a prophetic word to us given to bless us. Blessed are those who read, hear, and keep. And He does remind us again, for the time is near. That is, the next great era of God's redemptive history is near. It is the very next thing. There's nothing left for the Lord to do. We are near this now. We are living in the church age. It's the last of the last days. And the the next thing that God needs to do is fulfill, really, the very end-time prophecies. That's We're right at that door. Let's read on. That's the introduction. And then we'll have just a few minutes here. I want to look at verses 4 through 8 as John gives his initial greeting to these churches that he will be writing to. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is John's greeting to the churches. He is writing to seven churches. Now, the number seven is going to appear quite often in the book of Revelation. You'll see that as we work our way through. And this number seven represents uh, complete or perfect perfection written to seven churches. In other words, we would, this is written to the, to the fullness of the church, a complete look at the church, a full representation there are seven days in a week. It is the, the, the number seven symbolically represents uh, perfection and completeness as we study through. So he writes to the seven churches. Again, this is in uh, what is modern-day Turkey, but in the Roman Empire it was known as the province of Asia. So it's written to the churches. It's from God, both God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. You see that there in verse 4, grace to you and peace from who is and who was and who is to come. That is reference to God the Father, the eternal God. Time is in His hand. Our past, present, and future is secure in Him. 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Again, here the seven representing perfection or completeness. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. It's uh, probably uh, referencing a passage in the book of Isaiah where the Spirit of the Lord is referred to is in, in this way, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So these seven spirits who are before his throne, really the, the fullness, the full work and the full ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then also from Jesus Christ, the Son, referring to him as the faithful witness. He is the exact representation of God. He is, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He faithfully represented God in the flesh. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, this firstborn does not mean that he is a created being. He is God. He, he, is, not, he is creator, not any object of creation. This firstborn simply references him as being the preeminence. It's a messianic reference. He is the preeminent one from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Boy, the kings of the earth don't know that, do they? Kings of the earth think they're running the show. Men are scheming and planning and they've got it all together and they're, they're, you know, they're, there's all kinds of ideas of power and grandeur. But understand that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, it's not yet manifest. His, he's not yet established the fullness of his kingdom. But that's part of what the book of Revelation is about. But that's who he is and that his kingdom will come and the fullness of it will be revealed in time. He is the ruler over all the nations, and he will return in glory. Now, he goes on to elaborate a little bit about Jesus here and a number of things that I'd like to point out concerning Jesus. Firstly, he he worships him, doesn't he? Behold, sorry, where am I? The the firstborn from the dead, the ruler to him, okay, to him. So now he, he just wants to give glory to Jesus, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see that in verse 5. The first reference here, the first expounding on Jesus is that of worship. He has loved us. And the proof of God's love, many question, does God really love me? The evidence of, how, of whether or not God loves you is not whether you feel loved tonight. I just don't feel like he loves me. The evidence of his love for you is not how you may feel on any particular moment because our feelings ebb and flow, don't they? There's some days I feel really loved and then there's other days I don't feel loved. But God's love doesn't change. What's the evidence of his love, the way I feel or what he has done for me? The evidence is the cross. The evidence is that he gave his own blood for my sins. This is proven once for all at the cross. He's washed me with his own blood, his own sacrifice, and he has blessed me. He's made us kings and priests to our God, to his God, verse 6 says. Priests and kings. We have direct access. We no longer, we, he's given us this wonderful relationship with God. We are now able to come boldly to the throne. Not only are, can we come to the Lord, but we also represent God to the people around us. We are his priests now in the earth. 
and made us kings. We have privilege and authority in Christ. We have direct access to God. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John is worshiping him and reminding us of all that he has done for him. And then he says just finally to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Concerning Jesus, there should be worship. Verse 7, not only should there be worship, but we should be watching for Him. Behold, He is coming. There ought to be in our hearts an understanding that Christ is going to return, and we ought to be watching for Him. This is what He promised in Matthew twenty-four thirty. He said, The sign of the Son of Man will, be, will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. John simply reiterates what Jesus has already declared to him. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. With clouds, he's coming you know, from the clouds, but clouds can also be a reference to a great many people that will come with him. He's coming with all of his saints. He's coming with all of his angels. He's coming with a, you know, a great company. And they will, he, they will be coming with him. Every eye will see him. He won't be appearing off in a corner. All will see him. Including, notice what he references here, those who, they who pierced him. You see that in the middle of verse 7? All right, those who pierced him is a reference, I believe, to the Jewish nation. It was the Romans who actually crucified him, but it was the Jews who had him crucified. And there is a prophecy in the book of Zechariah. You don't need to turn. I'll reference it here for you. Zechariah 12, verse 10, concerning the future coming of Christ, it says this, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. That prophecy in Zechariah, I believe John is referencing referencing it here in verse 7. Even they who pierced him... Today, the Jewish nation, the Israel people, the Jewish people of Israel do not recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Christians have embraced him. The Jews have not. You know that the Jews rejected him as their Messiah. And they have since been cut off from salvation. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. But he talks about a time when the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles will have come in and that God will begin look look to restore Israel back to relationship. And I do believe that the book of Revelation is part of that God dealing with the nation of Israel, not only in discipline, but also in revealing and that when he comes, he was going to prepare their hearts so that when he returns, even the Jews are going to say, it's him. It's Jesus. It was Jesus all along, the one we pierced, the one we rejected the one we didn't recognize, it really was Him. He is our Messiah. And they will mourn, not, not in sadness that, that, you know, He's coming back, but the mourning of, oh, we missed Him. Oh, we all this time we didn't realize it was Jesus Christ all along. 
and we rejected Him. But now, through these events and the fullness of what God will do and the revelation of Jesus when He returns, they will look upon Him whom they pierced and they will embrace Him finally as their Messiah as well. And Paul said, listen, if, if the... If uh, Israel's rejection of Christ has turned out to be great blessing to the Gentiles, think how great it will be when they come back to Christ. Paul talking about the blessing when God brings all together in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. But when he returns, all will see him, including those the, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people that have rejected him. But not only that, and all the tribes of the earth, verse the latter part of verse 7, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. My sense there is that the nations of the earth, and you'll see in the book of Revelation, men, as things get worse and God begins to pour out judgments on the earth, men's hearts don't get soft and turn to him. Some do. There are some who come to Christ during what we believe to be the time of this tribulation period. And we'll talk more detail as we go. But many will just continue to grow harder and harder in rejection. And even when, when God begins to pour out judgments on the earth, their hearts just get harder and harder. And then when Christ finally does appear, there will be this great, uh-oh, <laughs> this mourning, this, this despair, this fear, when, when they see him the way John saw him, with his you know chest girded in gold and his feet shining like bronze, and you know a f- flame of a sword of fire coming out from his mouth and coming in whiteness and glory, then they will realize, uh oh. They will have the the understanding. They will realize the doom. Their impending doom for having rejected Christ. This is the way in which he will come. And when he comes, all will see. Some will be embracing him, some will be rejoicing, and some will be fearful. And then Christ himself, verse 8 here, declares. Now, this could be God the Father speaking. It could be, I have a, to me, the subject John is talking about is, is Christ. And we know here very shortly that Christ does refer to himself this way. Either way, it's true. If it's God the Father speaking, he also is the Alpha and the Omega. If it's Jesus Christ, he is God. He is also the Alpha and the Omega. But there is this declaration of God's power and his eternal nature. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is his greeting. This is his introduction. John, starting in verse 9, will begin to give us and reveal the very vision that he sees. We'll start that next week. We'll close here tonight with just these, this kind of these introductory remarks and this initial greeting. And my, my hope tonight is just to, just to encourage you, um, just even in these few short verses, I, my heart in preparing was just encouraged, beginning to see, you know, God, you've got everything in control. You are the Almighty. My life is just like yours. I have, I have trials. I have difficulties. I have fears. I have uncertainties. I have challenges. And, I, you know, it's easy to get anxious. And we're living in, in anxious times. And there's a lot of pressure and, and 
you know, worry and things and you want what's going to happen, what's going to work out, what am I going to do, what should we do? And then I, then I come back to I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. God's on the throne. God's got all of eternity in His hand. God has my days before there was one. He knows the number of my days. He knows the number of hairs upon my head. God has my future, my past, my present. God has all things on His watch. He doesn't slumber nor sleep. He's ever watchful. He's ever mindful. And even all the things that are going on in the earth are going along per His you know, permission and per His plan for eternal things. God's in control. Be encouraged tonight. God has you, and God is able to complete that which He has begun in you. And God is able to accomplish all things, all the future and the plans that He has for you, which are for good, a future and a hope. That's what we'll be studying, the future and hope that God has for His people. As we look, you know, some of it is very, you know, it is fearful. But for those that know the Lord, blessed is he who hears and reads and keeps these things. There will be a blessing, there will be a comfort for us and a confidence that uh, even in the midst of these things, God has special plans for his people. Let's pray tonight. Father, we do thank you for the, uh, the book of Revelation, how it just begins to open our eyes to a look of Jesus Christ that, that is not presented in the Gospels, Lord. It's a, it's a very different look one of Jesus coming and returning in great power and glory, a glorified Christ, the heavenly vision. Jesus, we've been studying your walk on the earth and as a man and how you humbled yourself and made yourself vulnerable and, and, made your, and laid your life down. But this picture that we see in the book of Revelation is a completely different one, a, a Lord that is returning to be king of the earth. And so, Lord, we thank you for this, and we ask that it would encourage our hearts that as we study these things, our faith would grow, our confidence in our God would grow, and that we would not be shaken, that we would not be moved, that we would not be fearful, but, Lord, that we would find a peace and an assurance that, you know, God, this is just part of your plan. All that's going on is simply a part of your plan. Nothing is taking you by surprise. Everything, Lord, is happening according to your watch. And according to your calendar of events, and God, you know the time, and the times and the seasons, and we put our trust in you tonight. And my heart is in your hand tonight, Lord. You have my life. And you're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. And my heart is, draws confidence and trust in you tonight. As we're closing in prayer, I do want to give opportunity, if there's anyone here tonight, you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior. You're not confident that your life is in His hand. You've never really given your life to Him. You've never invited Him in to be the Lord of your life. passage here says this Jesus, He's the King. He, he is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. But He will not come into your heart and be Lord of your life without invitation. He is going to return and, and come in power and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But until that time, He simply offers Himself as Savior to those that would invite Him into their life, for those that would put their trust and faith in Him. So if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and you want to come to the Lord, I want to pray for you. 
I'm going to give you a chance to respond and we'll pray. Or maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe you, you have walked with Him in times past, but you've drifted away and your heart needs to return to the Lord. I want to pray for you as well. If you're here tonight and you need to come to the Lord for the first time or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, I would ask you to raise your hand right now so that I can see it and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight need to invite the Lord into your life or you need to come back to the Lord? Lord, we do thank you for your words. We thank you for the promise that says, Blessed is he who reads and hears and keeps these things. Lord, we've heard these things. We're, we're looking forward to the blessing of studying this book together. And we pray that you would open it up to us, Lord, and encourage our hearts through the journey. We ask your blessing now, Lord, as we close in just a song of worship and glorifying the, the true and living God. Be exalted among us, I pray in Jesus' name.